When's the last time you felt that you were in a season of uh, just exhaustion? Just, uh, just drained constantly and frequently. Any of you, some of you are in that season. Some of you have been in that season. Uh, you're just so tired. Some of you are tired of being tired. Some of you are just so tired of, of trying to, to, to clean yourself up, to try to fix your life. You're just overwhelmed. You're exhausted. Maybe it's uh, at your work. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's just everywhere you seem to find yourself. You just feel like you're in a constant fight, a constant battle, a constant struggle. See, where we're at today in 2 Timothy, Timothy has been in a season like that. He's been uh, the pastor of a, of a young, growing church in a large city called Ephesus. He's been uh, appointing new leaders, training new leaders, appointing deacons. He's been doing uh, a lot of work, training a lot of, of people for ministry. He's been, uh, there's been people in the church that have caused uh, disruption and, and grumbling against him. They've, been, they've caused division and people have left the church. People are talking bad about him. People are also uh, have forsaken the Apostle Paul, the guy who's writing him this letter to encourage him. Both of these men, Timothy and the Apostle Paul, are, have been or they're in seasons as as this book was being written of just just uh, disappointment for some. For some, Paul was disappointed a lot when no one would show up to him and, and when people were ashamed of him. We talked about that last week. Uh, Timothy's in the, in the trenches of fighting uh, for Jesus and he wants people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, but people keep opposing him. Even internally, there's bickering and fighting. It's just exhausting. Today, if that's you, if you just feel exhausted, and I hope that you'll be strengthened today. I hope you'll be encouraged today. And so if you're not, uh, you, you're, you're, you are just, you know, you have all the energy in the world. Find someone today who doesn't look like you and encourage them. But if you need a Bible, let's go ahead and uh, raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. We're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, first thing we're going to look at today in 2 Timothy chapter 2 is, is what we've been entrusted and what we, what we've been, uh, what we are to teach so Timothy has been entrusted uh, the gospel and he's to teach the gospel. And so Paul says this to him this way. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. How many of you need strength today? How many of you need hope today? You, need, you, need, you just need encouragement. You need to be lifted up. You need to be made strong because you feel like you're, you're weak and you're, 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 you're frail Paul is telling Timothy, be strengthened, not by your own might. He doesn't say, go download a, a, a video, a YouTube video of encouragement. He doesn't say, go listen to the latest podcast to help you organize your life so that you will be strengthened with the hope that is in you. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, go uh, you know, grab a drink. He doesn't say, go uh, download things you're not supposed to look at. He doesn't say any of that. He says, be strengthened, my child, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's what we need to know. Every single one of us in here today, we need strength always. And from time to time, we're more aware of the strength we need. But our world will tell you that the strength is in you. That it's just in your personality. You have different strengths in your personality type and that you just need to tap into those. You just need to be more uh, self-aware and just give yourself permission to be who, God, be who you want to be. That's the way we talk in our culture. Paul doesn't talk that way. He says, hey, you need strength and it's not from you. It comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. We all need strength, grace. 
that comes, strength that comes from the grace that is in not us, but in Jesus. In Jesus. So this grace is this, we talk about it frequently, this unmerited favor. We need favor from God. This, this grace saves us, calls us out of sin and into salvation. That's grace. You were saved by grace through faith. It was not your own doing. So none of you can boast. It was a gift of God. The gift of salvation is an act of grace from God to you to receive. But also, the strength to be sustained after salvation and every other day proceeding forward is a gift of grace as well. The same gospel that saved you is the only thing that will sustain you. Paul is not graduating Timothy to, from the gospel to, to new and higher lofty thinking. He's going back to the old, tried, profound, true gospel. He says, be strengthened by that grace and that gospel that is in Jesus Christ. Verse 2, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others as well. So Paul is, is encouraging Timothy to rely not on a strength that's from himself, but a strength that comes from Jesus Christ, that comes from the gospel, and it comes from the, the message that Paul has been teaching. He says, you've heard me teach it. You've heard me preaching it. I, in the minute, presence of many, you, I, 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 he's a one-hit wonder. He says the same message. Hope that's true about our church, that we're just one-hit wonders. We, just, we got the gospel, and it, we're going to keep talking about it until Jesus comes back. It's the only good news out there. It's the only good news. It's the best news. It's great news. So Paul is at the, at the point where he's, he's done ministry for quite some time. He's planted a lot of churches. He's writing his 13th book of the Bible. But he's, he's, he's in prison. And he's about to be executed. He's about to be murdered for being a Christian. And he wants to encourage Timothy. Imagine that. Have you ever met someone who's going through a lot? Just like going through a lot. And, and they come and you're going through maybe a little. I don't like to compare it, compare it like this, but for the sake of this point, I'm, I'm going to. You're just going through a little compared to them. And you're like, man, uh, I, I'm going through some stuff, but look at what they're going through. And then they want to encourage you. You ever been encouraged by someone who's, who looks like, man, they're going through a crazy trial? And they're encouraging you? Paul's imprisoned, about to die. And he's like, hey, before I go, I need to encourage you, Timothy. I need to strengthen you, Timothy. Paul wants to strengthen Timothy. And what he wants to do is he wants to encourage Timothy to pass on the gospel. This good news of Jesus and all of its implications. So Paul has preached the gospel and he's taught the implications of the gospel. All that are bound in the book we call the Bible. And he's done it in many witnesses. And he wants Timothy to take that message. It's been entrusted to him. All the teachings of the scripture have been entrusted to him to keep teaching the Bible. And then to entrust faithful men to keep doing that as well, to pass it on, and in turn have those people pass it on as well. So that the reason being is so that the gospel is preserved for generations and generations. This was written over 2,000 years ago, and it's still being preserved to this day. Why? Because there's faithful Bible teachers like Paul. There's faithful teachers like Timothy who keep teaching it, and others take it, receive it. They keep teaching it. And 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later, 6,000 years later, however long it takes for Jesus to come back, God will continue to raise up generations of faithful men and women who are faithful to Jesus and his word. 
And that's what we're trying to cultivate here. We want to raise up generations in this church, uh, us to be faithful men and women, faithful to Jesus, faithful to his word, and faithful to keep it going. Specifically, it started with Jesus. Jesus came. God, as a man, came, lived his life on earth, died in our place for our sins, rose victoriously. Then he chooses a man named Paul, who is a Christian killer, who wrote this book. He entrusted this gospel to the apostle Paul and says, take it to the Gentiles. Anyone who's not Jewish, go to them. Other disciples, their ministry was to the Jews. Paul's was to the Gentiles. Timothy is a Gentile man. Paul has entrusted this message to Timothy. Timothy will do what Paul says and entrust it to faithful men. Those faithful men will also train others and pass it on. In this apostolic tradition, not the office, this office, this, this tradition of, of you, what we call discipleship, a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple who makes a disciple, and that keeps going till Jesus returns. It began with Jesus when he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I don't care if they like it, they want you to or not, go. All authority was given to me, go. Tell them about the person and work of Jesus. When they get saved, baptize them. And then teach them to observe all or obey all that Jesus has commanded. Paul has given his life to this task. Paul is telling Timothy, give your life to this task. He's saying, then find other men who who will give their life to this task. Additionally, this is not just a, a strategy, but there, this is a, a principle that is not just for Timothy to raise up other church leaders, but to equip the congregation to do the same. So there is the, this, is, this is, again, not simply uh, filling up church uh, leadership roles. That's not Timothy's divine assignment is to only get new pastors in play. Yes, he must do that, but also he must equip the congregation to do this very thing. Be entrusted with the gospel when I say gospel, I'm not just, I am talking about the person and work of Jesus for salvation, but I'm also talking about the good news of its implications. Jesus did not just save you just to get you out of hell. He saved you so that you can become a child of God and live with a new name and a new family with new rules, new life forever, even now. And so this principle is one of discipleship. It's, it's stewardship. It's entrusting someone who is a steward. They must be found faithful. They've been entrusted with this, this, this news, this gospel and its implications. And they're, and, and they're to entrust it to others. It's called discipleship. And so Paul wants to strengthen us today as disciples and disciple makers. To, 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 he, to, he sees those who know, love, and trust Jesus, and he's, he knows this principle of discipleship that in order for generations to continue to still love, faithfully love, and trust, and obey Jesus, that there has to be a faithful remnant now that continues to pass it on, meaning there's got to be multiplication. So many churches die because they don't multiply. They don't multiply. They don't. They just, they're excited that they, they did the thing. They got the church established. They got it planted. They have members. People are giving. Everyone's happy. It's like, we're, we made it. Then when people come in and try to disrupt what they're doing, ah, oh, we don't want anyone in. We just kind of like this number, whatever our, our magic number is. We want to keep it that way. 
We don't need to multiply. Other churches can do that. We're going to be about ourselves. They turn inwardly. The minute the church turns inwardly, it's dead. Dead. It must be resurrected. It can live again. But the day the church is inward focused only and cares only about the affairs inside the organization and forgets about this principle of discipleship, that it's a stewardship that's been entrusted, that it must keep going. It's dead. It's off mission. The mission wasn't make disciples and sit there and wait. It was keep going. And I want you to see the fact that you are a Christian today is because someone believed this. They entrust the gospel to you. You believed. The Spirit saved you. You, you. you were born again. Paul is writing with the affection of a father to his son, spiritual son, Timothy. He says, my child. See, this is what discipleship is. It's, it's spiritual parenting. It's spiritual fathering. It's spiritual mothering. In the same way that a mother and father ought to care and cultivate and, and develop and teach and instruct their children to love, know, love, and trust and obey Jesus, to know God and to then make him known. In the same way that is the job of the parent, it's also the job of the disciple maker. They've been entrusted to, to, to seek out faithful men and faithful women who they can teach, who will then go and teach others also. So if you're a young man in here, which we have many, find an older man around. If you're like 20, 25 is older, that's what it is. That's what it is. It doesn't, some of us are getting gray hair. Some of us have had gray hair for a little bit of time. It doesn't matter. The grayer, the better, in my opinion. That's what I look to. Uh, uh, or uh, if they don't have hair, you know, it could be genetics. could be age. I don't know. Uh, I just don't. You, you can ask them. But the, the reality is, men, find the older men. You can learn something from them. Ladies, find the older women. Look, l- learn from them. Older ladies, older men, find the younger men, find the younger women, invest in them, take them out to dinner, take them out to coffee. Someone's got to initiate it. I'm putting it on both of y'all. Someone's got to do it. First one wins. First one asks the question, wins. Go, go. Seek out one another. If, here's the reality. Many of you want to be disciples who make disciples. And if you have a want to, we have how to. Some of you have no want to. So we don't even need to talk about how to. There's no, and Paul doesn't say go after everyone. He's saying, he, ideally you would, but he says entrust us to faithful men. Who are the faithful around here? A lot of times we, as Christians, we're like, man, we, there's the, the Christian who's never, never on church and they're far away and they just keep running and running and running and rebelling away. Yes, go after them, keep telling them the gospel, love them. But when it comes to, to reproducible discipleship here, Paul is saying, hey, take the, get the faithful first. Get them. They're here. They want to. Far too often, churches spend so many resources on those who have no want to. And they keep giving them a how to. And they're like, why isn't this working? Because they're investing time, money, resources, energy, counseling, sleepless nights, and people who don't care. People who don't love Jesus. If you've discipled people for long enough, you know this is true. Can discern now real quickly. All right, that guy, that girl, they want to. They don't have to know anything. They just have a hunger for Jesus, and they have a want to. And they'll listen, and they'll learn. Invest in them first. 
Because if you don't, guess where they'll go? To a church that will. They will. They will. Additionally, we're not just investing in them. Because what you're going to do is when you invest in them, they'll go after the people that are on the fringes. You invest in the faithful, you'll get everyone. You invest in the unfaithful, you'll get nobody. You'll get a bunch of tired people who are like, man, i got to go find a church that is easy. There's not one of those, just in case you're looking. Uh, I've looked. Uh, He says to teach. What is he teaching? You're teaching obedience. He says we're to teach them. To teach them, Jesus says in the Great Commission, you are to teach them to obey all that Christ has commanded. He says, entrust, you've been entrusted, and this message is to be taught. You're entrusted. So there's a, there's a reaching of the lost, which we call evangelism. There's a teaching and instructing on what Jesus has said. And then there's this call, and both to obey. If you're a non-Christian, the call is to hear what Jesus has said, and the call is to, to believe it, to obey it. If you're a Christian, it's looking at God's word, being taught what the word of God says, and then obeying it. Obeying it. So oftentimes when when making disciples, we just want to give them information, and we think that we just give people information, like at least we gave them the information. Discipleship is not about information transfer. It's about transformation. It's being transformed into the image and likeness of Jesus. And when it comes to obedience, we get, oftentimes we get caught. We're like, oh, obedience sounds harsh. You obey who you love, period. That's why we talk about want to. If you love Jesus, he's pretty easy to obey. Because you love him. You love him. If you love your parents, they're easy to obey. They're benevolent. They're nice. They give you food. They're great. It's awesome. They're easier to obey. Jesus is perfect. He's a perfect God. He has no sin in him. He loves us unconditionally. Everything he says is for our good. So if he says stop, you better believe that's the best thing in the world for you to do is stop. If he says go and make disciples, you better believe the best thing for you to do is to go. Whenever Jesus says anything, whenever you hear anything from his word, you should hear it as like this is the most important thing for me to do because it comes from the most important man and it comes from the one who I love the most. The problem is, our loves get mixed up. We love other things. We love other people. We love ourselves. We don't, when we love Jesus, obedience is easy. That's what discipleship is. It's cultivating. It's helping, it's helping one another love Jesus more. Paul loves Jesus. He's going to die for him. Timothy loves Jesus, and he's going to hear these words in this difficult season. He's going to go, I got I to gotta do this. I got to be faithful. I'm going to do it. He says this next. He says, fight like a warrior. This is his first encouragement, to be strengthened. So if you want strength today, you got to think like a warrior. you got to fight like a warrior. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 3 and 4. He says, Suffer, su- su- share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. If you're a Christian, you need to understand that this Christian life is a fight. It's a fight. It's an absolute fight. When you became a Christian, you signed up for war. You signed up for war, a spiritual war where, you don't, where you're not the king and you're not the captain, but Jesus is, and he's promised to, to defeat his enemy and, the foe, and his foes, and he's already done that through the, his resurrection. And so you, you join the warrior king Jesus, and he's going to fight for you. He's going to defend you. He's going to protect you, but it is a fight. So Paul's instructing Timothy, hey, you need to entrust 
to this message to faithful men and women to, who are going to pass it on. And guess what? When you, when you do that, when you say, yes, I'm going to make disciples who make disciples, I'm going to take what God has entrusted uh, to me to then pass it on, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a fight. Some of you just signed up to be DG leaders, and you're like, it just feels like a fight already. Not with people, but just circumstances, and, and, and just all of a sudden, like, Things just started happening in my life, in my marriage, and there's strife where there wasn't before. And there was just, things just got hard. I'm more exhausted than I was before. And we haven't even done anything yet. We just met one time. It just feels like pressure on every side. It's because you're in a war. When a warrior signs up for war, they know it's going to be war. And when they don't get it, they're, they're like, I want there to be war. I signed up for war. I didn't sign up to sit on the sidelines. If you've signed up to make disciples, you want to, you want to follow Jesus, you want to obey him, you need to understand you're doing this in a cosmic war. So you've got to fight like a warrior. You've got to think like a warrior. See, there's two armies. There's one king, but there's two armies. There's two armies. It's the kingdom, Jesus' his kingdom, and the rebels. Those are the two armies. The rebel army and the king's army. If you know, love, and trust Jesus, you're, on the king, you're in the king's army. If you don't love, know, love, and trust Jesus... You're in the rebel army. You, may, you, you might not have wanted to be in the rebel army, but there's only two armies. Opt into Jesus, forsake the rebels, salvation. If not, you're on, you're on the, you're the only other team. And we love you. We're glad you're here. We want to convert you to get on Team Jesus because that's for life, that's for joy, that's for pieces. See, there's two kingdoms. Oh, sorry, there's one king, there's two armies, and there's two fathers. Satan, who's the father of lies, that's what the Bible tells us, He's also, we're told that, that he has children, not just angelic beings that, that rebelled against God as well, but we're told also that he now recruits humans to join his team. So if you don't know, love, and trust Jesus, you need to know you're being groomed in, 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 to join Satan's team and his army. You're being equipped, you're being instructed, you're being helped. Those are the two teams. Jesus and his, his children and Satan and his children. There's two fathers. The question is, who's your father and do you love him? Because he says this, a soldier, a good soldier of Jesus doesn't get caught up in civilianist pursuits. Who enlisted you? He says it's because it's the one, he aims to please the one who enlisted him. Do you, if you know your dad, God is your father and he loves you and he's been generous to you, he's been kind to you, that he, he paid your sin debt. Not only did he pay it with our big brother Jesus' life, but he's given you Jesus' righteousness. You've been cleansed. You've been forgiven. You've been clean. There's nothing you can do to, to, to get rid of the righteousness of Christ that is in you. You are saved. You're a child of God, and that's you. That's your father, and he loves you, and he wants you to love him. And he wants you to pledge allegiance to him. He's enlisted you. And he wants you to have your aim, your chief aim, is to please him. Not to please, namely, only your own selfish ambitions. If your ambitions line up with God's ambitions, pursue them. But we need, we need to, to, to think about what our wants. We need to think about our dreams. And we need to submit them to our king, the one who's enlisted us. This is what a soldier would do. In a, in a fight, they're not going, what do I think's right? What is the commander's intent? What do we got to do in this situation? What, what, what does the one, the man over me say we should do? What, what do we got to do? We got to figure it out. Our aim is to please our heavenly father whom we love. 
Who do you love the most? Do you love God, his word, his will, his ways, and your allegiance to Jesus? You need to understand that, that there is a cosmic war and Satan and demons hate you. And you need to understand this. It's not like Halloween. Everyone thinks that the demons are like, I mean, they're, they're pretty scary. I'm sure if we saw them in the unseen realm. But the reality is we're told through the scriptures that Satan likes to disguise himself as an angel of light. Because he knows they'll be scared if he looks like a crazy vampire. So it's subtle. It looks like what people celebrate in our world today. It looks like what everyone agrees on. It looks like subtle lies that, that twist and distort God's truth. So that's his tactic. His tactic is to deceive. His tactic is to lie because he's the father of lies. Our God is the father of truth. The truth, Jesus says, will set captives free. Satan wants to bind us by helping us believe lies, true or false. If you believe something falsely about your spouse, it leads to conflict in your marriage. True. If you didn't know that, that's true. If you believe something falsely about them, if you think in your mind, my spouse hates me, my spouse does not think anything good about me, my spouse is, quote, always doing these things to hurt me. Anyone ever said that? How'd that end? Y'all kept, y'all just, it, it, the fight was over, right? No, it escalated it. This is Satan's tactics in every sphere, wanting you to believe lies about yourself, about the truth, about, the, about others, and then live in light of those lies. That's the trap. That's the enslavement. That's where you get stuck. That's where you're imprisoned. Jesus came to set you free. Satan wants to distort things so that you'll never choose freedom. And ultimately, this deception, he knows that if, he can, if, he can keep, if it can last till, till, till you breathe your last, he'll ultimately destroy you. And then he'll, he'll, you'll be tormented with him forever. Satan hates kingdom expansion. Ever sign up? Some, you sign up to, to join a, a community group, and all of a sudden, when you had that, that day free, Tuesday at you know, 6 p.m., all of a sudden, at work, they need you to work it Tuesday at 6 p.m. You're like, we've never had anyone work at Tuesday at 6 p.m. in the entire life of the company, but we do now. Why? Because of Satan. He hates you. He doesn't, he, your boss may not be demonic, but the, the needs of the company have aligned itself in such a way that they need you to now, you know, break your commitment because you're like, I wanted to grow in, in, in community. I wanted to learn God's word, but Satan wants to, to keep you away from that. It got hard. Some of you, when you come together to worship, you have to sacrifice uh, uh, money because you, you, you have to not work. For that hour. When you come to community group, you have to leave work early. You make sacrifices. Many of you make so many sacrifices, and I commend you for that. That's part of the war, though. Satan wants to deceive you. He wants you to keep you from, from God's word. He wants to keep you from God's people, and he wants you to keep you from God's ways. And he does so through subtle lies. So you got to think and fight like a warrior. Additionally, it's going to hurt. It's gonna, there's going to be some pain. There's going to be, quote, as he says, suffering. He says, suffer like a good soldier. What he's saying is, don't complain. Don't quit. Keep going. See, our task is to help set captives free. Satan hates that. He doesn't want them to be set free. 
Many people are enslaved to sin, Satan, and death, not willingly, not that they, they, or sorry, not knowingly. They just grew up in the enemy territory. They had parents and, and grandparents like Abraham who did not know, love, and worship Jesus, but God still saves men and women out of deep darkness, calls them into his light, transforms them. They're held captive by the enemy, but God's people come in and herald the news that the king lives, the king is alive, the king saves, the king, his name's Jesus. Get up, get up, your chains are gone. Believe in him, trust in him, obey him, you're free. Some will rise up, leave their shackles, walk in obedience to that news, that gospel, become children of God. Others will sit and lie in shame and guilt because they've chosen not to believe the news that the king lives, that sins have been paid for. They'll believe the lie that, they, that they're not worthy, to, to, uh, they, they, they cannot get up, they cannot be saved, they cannot believe in the gospel, that they've, sinned, they've out-sinned the mercy and grace of Jesus. And we just keep heralding, we keep telling, yes, there's, you have sinned, but no, you cannot out the mercy and grace of Jesus. There's more mercy and grace in him than sin in you. And we're just relentless, telling and heralding this news so they can be saved. So when the enemy wants to, to, to cause our situations, our circumstances to, to be a painful, we don't quit, we don't complain. Here's the reality. If you've just signed up, if you're part of, you're like, man, I've really been wanting to be a part of Jesus' mission, and you, some of you just joined a discipleship group, and all of a sudden, things just feel like they've gotten hard. Praise God, wake up, stand tall, and go harder. Go harder. The enemy has not got strength over you. The Spirit of God who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Trample that fool. Step on his crushed head. Declare with your life that you will not complain. You will not quit when it comes to the mission of Jesus. Because you are the king's kid. And you got king's entitlement. You got the spirit of God in you. You've got freedom in Christ. You got forgiveness of sins. And people need to hear that. So you're going to step out and go herald and tell that. No warrior ever gets, signs up and thinks it's going to be easy. Christians shouldn't think that the cost of following Jesus, making disciples, reproducible discipleship is going to be easy. And I'm not, there's, this is not a call to physical war. This is called to think like a warrior, but engaged in the spiritual battle that happens in the physical. What we're doing is helping we were once enemies of God, and now we've become friends of God. We were once slaves to sin, but now we are sons and daughters of God. We are simply just helping those who have yet to hear the news believe the news. And those who believe the news help them to continue to walk out what it means to know, love, and trust Jesus. And he says also, then don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Since your aim is to please the one who enlisted you. What I'm saying, what he's saying here is like there's sometimes there's just stupid things that you do that distract you. Don't do those things. When you're in war, there's certain things you just don't do. You've signed up. You're on the front lines. You're in the battle. You're making disciples. You don't always have time for certain things. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Martin Luther said this, the labors of ministry will exhaust the very marrow from your bones Hasten old age and death. That's what he says about ministry. That's what he says. Hey, well, why would I want to do this? Why would I want to do this? 
See, that's the very American way of thinking of things. Why would I want to do something hard? Why would I want to do something that might cost me my life? Why would I want to do something that, that makes me uncomfortable? Why would I want to do something that makes my friends upset? Why would, why would I want to do something where, uh, uh, that, that's, that, that people just call me narrow-minded and bigoted? Why would I want to do any of these things? Like, There's so much more things to do that are just easy. See, that's the American mind. That's the lies of our culture. Instead of doing what is, uh, that, that, that is the easiest thing in your life, you should be seeking to do the thing that most glorifies God in your life. If it's hard and it glorifies God more, praise God, do it. If it's easy and it glorifies God more, do it. But choose, your paradigm needs to be what brings the most glory to God. Let me pursue that. If it comes with hardship, praise God. I got a, I got a, a Savior, a Lord who's going to protect me, who's going to defend me, who's going to fight my battles for me. He's the Lord over angel armies, and he's a warrior king, and he's got me. I'm going to keep pursuing it. Jesus says when you do that, you get comfort. He says you get your burdens replaced from you and on him he says that there's life and peace in the path of christ the lie of the culture is pursue uh pursue comfort pursue anything other than something that will exhaust you jesus says you do that it will not it will not pan out like you think it will the lie of the culture will never fulfill you the pleasure of the culture will only be temporary but in, in the presence of God is fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore, peace eternally. See, the path of following Christ, while it might exhaust you, might, while it might, it might frustrate you, while it might inquire or uh, require you to face opposition, it is the life that Jesus has called you to. And you've got to trust that that's the good life, because it is. And along the way, he's going to fill you with greater joy. He's going to fill you with greater sense of purpose. He's going to fill you with, with greater sense of, 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 of commitment to him, which will give you greater assurance that you're a child of God. You'll actually have a better life pursuing Jesus, even if it's harder than you will with the life of, of, of comfort and rebellion against him. And so if you want strength, to be strengthened, this is, remember, this is in context of Paul wanting to strengthen Timothy. He's talking like this. He wants to give him a real picture of reality. He wants him to be strong in the strength of Christ's might. So if you want to be strengthened on mission, you've got to think and fight like a warrior, but you also got to train like an athlete. He says it this way. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. See, if you want to compete in any, any sport, there's rules. It's, it's amazing. There's rules. Like, real rules. We live in a culture that hates rules. But when you watch a sport and they break the rules, what do you, you get upset. You're watching a football team and like they, 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 the new, I'm not going to get into to specifics of sports. You watch, you watch a sport and like, man, that guy broke the rules. The fans are upset. Why? Because they're intolerant and diverse. They're not diverse. That's right. They're intolerant. They, don't, they do not like it when you break the rules. Exactly. They're intolerant because the rules are to be obeyed. Why do rules exist, particularly in certain sports? For the safety of, 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 the, of the, the person, the people involved. Additionally, for the integrity of the sport. So an athlete must compete according to the rules. He says an athlete also competes for a crown. He has a goal. She has a goal. They're going to compete in a sport. They have a goal. They have a goal. Do you have a goal, Christian? Do you want to kill your sin? you want to obey your God? you want to love your wife? you want to disciple generations? What's your goal? 
What's your goal? Godliness requires discipline to train like an athlete, to compete like an athlete. Some of you will say, well, this is, isn't this legalism, like to, to, to discipline and to work hard, like discipline? No. Legalism is, being, uh, is, is using discipline in order to earn God's love and God's gift. But Christian discipline, freedom, the path of freedom is, I, I want to be godly, I want to obey him, and so I'm going to work hard to obey him because when I do that, there's more pro, there, there's pres, I'm in his presence, there's greater joy. The more I sin, the more I fall into ruin and folly. The more I obey Jesus, the more I have life and peace. Walk by the Spirit, which leads to death. I can walk, or sorry, I can walk by the flesh, which leads to death. Walk by the Spirit, which leads to life and peace. I'm going to discipline myself to live my life according to God's word, will, and ways so that I can, I can enjoy more of him and be empowered to, to bless more of his people. Being disciplined to enjoy God's gift. This is thinking like an athlete. Competing according to the rules. You can't, you can't play in, in a sport if you don't compete according to the rules. You can't play. You're disqualified. And Christians, uh, we need to understand that we live according to God's rules, God's word, God's will, God's ways. So that means we do everything different. We do marriage different than the world. We do parenting different than the world. We do sex different than the world. We do money different than the world, business different than the world, everything, justice, politics, you name it, we do different than the world. The world does it based off of, uh, of uh, false truths or half-truths according to Satan and his, word, his ways, but we do it according to God's word, God's will, and God's ways. We do everything. God created marriage. God created parenting. God created sex. God created money. God created business. God created politics or, or people who then impart in. He, he created nations, and so therefore there, there's political systems that must be constructed. He created justice. God created everything. We're to endeavor and do all of these things in a very distinctly Christian way. This is why I lose my mind when people uh, abandon God's word and call themselves a Christian. It's not. They're not. They're not. You're not if that's you. You're not. If you go show up to the Spurs team and you happen to make it on the team and you don't follow the rules, guess what you're not doing? Getting in the game. You won't be on the team. You'll get cut. For those of you who don't watch sports, San Antonio Spurs, the basketball team, I don't know if you all have heard about them around here. They're kind of big. You can't compete on a sports team if you break the rules. You can't. I don't know why Christianity is the only organized thing in the entire United States where you can claim something that is not Christian and still be called that. It blows my mind. You can't walk onto a football field without your helmet. That's one of the rules. You literally can't play without a helmet. If your helmet gets knocked off in one play, you have to sit out the next play. That's the rule. I don't like the rule. Then don't play the game. You're not a football player anymore. You ha an athlete must compete according to the rules. A Christian must live according to God's word, God's will, and God's ways. So the way you think about marriage, it's got to be according to God's ways. When you think about parenting, parent your kids according to God's ways. Sex and money, business, whatever you're doing, wherever you live, where you work, where you play, how you think about everything must be filtered in through God's word. That's what it means to be a Christian. To align, to submit yourself to Jesus as your king in his word. 
with your life. You need to remember this, though. Some of you hear rules, and you think, ah, restrictive. They are restrictive. Like a helmet is a good thing, though. Keeps your brain from being, you know, busted. Like it's a good thing for, to have that rule. It's for your protection. It's for your safety. Same thing for God's rules, God's ways. You need to remember this, that when God rescued his people, his children out of Egyptian slavery, brought them into the wilderness, he then gave them the Ten Commandments. He did not give them the commands and the law to, for them to earn their way into the family, but he gave them the rules because they were a part of the family. If you're not a Christian, we want you to be, but you're not you're bound to Jesus and you will answer to him one day, but if a non-Christian lives like a non-Christian, awesome. That's what they are. A Christian who lives like a non-Christian, that's a, that's, a, that's a problem. That's a problem. We call them to repentance. Not because you need to earn God's love, it's because you've already received his love. You're a child of God. You're part of his family. My kids must obey the rules of my house, even when they're not in my house. So find out, find out today that if my son, which has been happening, I won't tell you which one, does not obey the first time, when someone asks, tells him something, and then he waits the third or fourth time to obey, he will be punished. Because that rule is not just for my household. That's for my kids. They're Johnsons. It's my sons, my daughters. The rules are governed to protect them to keep them, to help them know their God, to worship their God, not just in my house, but every house they, come in, they go into, every sphere and every environment. That's how God sees us. We're his children. He wants us to love him and obey him in all the spheres he's placed us. Additionally, to thinking like a warrior, to training like an, an athlete, we must work hard like a farmer. It is the hardworking farmer, he says in verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will grant you understanding in everything. Working on a farm is hard. I know most of you don't do it, neither do I. I just have seen it, and I just can tell. It's hard work. If you ever met a farmer, it's hard. The work's never done. The work's never done. Neither is the dishes. They're never done. You, Wash the dishes, somehow they're back. Same thing with sin, it's always crouching. You must kill sin all the time, you must wash dishes all the time. There's always work to be done. Same is true in the kingdom. The kingdom work, there's always work to be done. But it takes the type of effort and type of work and type of, 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 of skill set, uh, thinking and working hard like a farmer to understand how to not just work yourself to death for the kingdom, to work in a way that, that you understand the seasons, seasons of planting, seasons of harvest, seasons of investment, seasons of reaping, seasons of sowing. See, it's the farmer uh, labors. If he does not labor, he does not eat. If the farmer does not labor, he does not eat. If the Christian does not labor, he or she does not produce fruit. He doesn't produce fruit. Paul says to, to work hard like a farmer so that you can share in its fruit, the crops. See, we're told, though, in, in John 15, Jesus says that in the way to be fruitful, the way for fruitfulness, the path of fruitfulness is not, uh, is not uh, uh, effortless, but he is saying that it, it does, there is an effort. 
the effort that, that Jesus speaks to, the hard work that must be done in John 15 that Jesus is referring to is the, the work of abiding in, him, in Christ. Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So the work is staying near Jesus. That's the work. That's what we're working. That's how we're working. If you abide in Jesus, which means remain, it's, it's, it's like a, a branch being connected to a vine. Guess what happens? When a branch is connected to a healthy vine, it produces fruit. It can't help it. When you walk with Jesus, when you walk near Jesus, you can't help but to produce fruit. Fruit of the Spirit, which is love. We all love that. Joy, I want some of that. Peace, amen. Patience, give me a double, double portion of that. Kindness, triple. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, extra, extra on top. And self-control. Give me, give me the fruit of the Spirit. I need it. I want it. I must have it. it, it I must have it or I, I will totally, utterly shipwreck my life. Guess what? I don't have to work myself up to produce that fruit. All I must do is work and all my efforts be concentrated on abiding in Jesus, staying near Jesus, following Jesus. It's like my son when we're walking through Home Depot or, or HEB or anywhere, I just say, stay next to me. I don't sit there and give him a list of aisles not to go down. I don't tell him what not to touch. I don't give him a bunch of things to do. I just say, stay by my side. And typically when he does it, he goes to the places that he's not supposed to. Gets involved with, you know, sharp objects and, you know, waves them around. Same thing with us. God has given us a, a, a small template to love him and to love others. That fulfills the law of Christ. Stay near Jesus. The hard, working, uh, the hard work of the Christian is to abide in Christ, to stay near Christ, to, to be disciplined in reading his word, re- disciplined in obeying his word, disciplined in loving him, knowing him, walking with him. The wor- it is hard work like a farmer, but it's not a hard work of memorizing all the things not to touch, memorizing all the things not to do, try to figure out how, what aisle not to walk down, who, who not to talk to, what I can say, what I cannot say. That's our culture, not our kingdom, right? We live in that world, right? Literally, we live in that world today. Well, you don't know what you can say or what you can't say. I had someone recently at HEB not know if I was male or female because they just didn't know what I thought that day. It was real awkward. I was like, just call me what you think I am. It's just like, I just... I don't know. Sometimes I offend people. I'm so sorry. And I was like, listen, like we live in a world that you never know what you can say, what you can't say, what's, gonna, what's the trend tomorrow, what are the rules, what, is the, what month are we in, who are we celebrating, uh, who are we condemning, uh, who are we voting for this time, uh, who do, ooh, now we don't like Fauci now. Like wh- this is the world we live in. Like you don't know anything until someone comes forward that day and says, done to done, here's the news, believe this. Believe this today. Believe this tomorrow. If it changes, it doesn't matter. Is it consistent? Who cares? That's exhausting. It's like me walking into, walking into Home Depot and listing the million things my son ought to not touch that could hurt him. Or listing all the aisles he shouldn't go down. Or what seeds not to eat and which plants will give him a rash? Like, like it, it just can't list all those things. And if I said, hey, memorize all these things before we go into, go into Home Depot, 
And then you will be a good servant of your father, a good disciple. You'd be like, dude, that's hard. We live in a world that demands that of us. We have a God that demands one thing, loving him. Him only. Staying near him. And it's hard work. Because there's a lot of aisles. There's a lot of things we want to go run after. And he's always calling us back. Hey, son, come back. Hey, daughter, come back. He does so through his word. We're reading and we hear the voice of our father telling us to come back. He says, when you do this, Jesus says in John 15, you will produce much fruit. But apart from me, you go down the other aisle, you can do nothing. It only leads to ruin and misery. So in order to produce fruit, you must work hard in abiding in Christ. You must work hard in uprooting lies of unbelief. You must work hard to be washed with God's word. You must be, work hard to be nourished by the words of the faith. And then you'll produce fruit. You must work hard to fight sin lest it kill you. So the big idea is that if you don't have the work ethic of a farmer, you won't enjoy the crops. You won't enjoy the, 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 the fruitfulness. You won't enjoy the love of the Spirit, the, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness. You won't enjoy it. Are crops, who are the crops for? Are they, are they for the vine? No, they're to be enjoyed. They're, the fruit is to be enjoyed. The fruit is to be enjoyed. God wants to produce spiritual fruit in your life. And he wants others in your family and your relationships to enjoy the fruit that God produces through you. And then the world around you to see it. A fruitful tree. A vine that produces much fruit. And all you have to do is abide. Remain in Jesus. But it takes the work of a farmer. So we end with this. I have three things in our ending. We see the, 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 the things that he has used so far to, in, in, to, to encourage Timothy to endure, to fight like a warrior, to, to think and train like an athlete, and to work hard like a farmer. And he's going to end with three things, the message, the motive, and the promise. He says this. Remember Jesus. This is the message. So in all that, if you're, if you're in all this and you're pursuing all that we've just talked about, remember all of this. Remember this, Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, which I'm suffering, bound as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Remember this, if you're in an endeavor to be a disciple who makes disciples, who wants to see a legacy and lineage and future of men and women knowing, loving, and trusting Jesus, you cannot graduate from this message. This is the message that saves. This is the message that sustains this is the message that gives hope this is all we have it, it, it is the message of Jesus Christ risen from the dead meaning he's alive that if you're in Christ you've been made alive he's an offspring of David meaning he has a legacy and lineage that he comes from and he's producing spiritual children that follow him if you know love and trust Jesus you're in the offspring of Jesus Christ you're a child of God and that's that comes through this gospel message which he preached that Jesus was was suffered and died in the place of sinners After being crucified and killed, he was risen victoriously, conquering Satan's sin, death, and the grave. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have salvation. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have faith. But he says that message is not bound, but this message is the good news. It it has the power to save. If you want salvation, believe in Jesus. You want forgiveness of sins, believe in Jesus. Believe in his his sin-atoning sacrifice. Look at the cross and say, my sin, my Savior. Herald that news. Tell people that news. That is the message 
of freedom. That is the message of redemption. And Paul says, I preach that. And in doing so, they put me in prison and chains like a criminal. See, the truth sounds like hate speech to those who hate the truth. If you're going to herald that message, you're going to talk about the exclusivity of Christ, that the infallibility of the scriptures, that this is, this is what we need for life and godliness, and that this governs Christ's family. And you're in, inviting people to join Jesus in his kingdom. And you're saying there's, it's, in, it's, it's inclusive of anyone who would come through the one door, Jesus Christ. And they're going to tell you that's narrow-minded. They're going to tell you that's bigoted. They're going to tell you that's hate speech. But just remember this. That the truth sounds like hate speech to those who hate the truth. Satan hates the truth. He will twist it and allow lies to govern what people say about Jesus and his people. Take heart. Fight like a good soldier. Train hard like an athlete. Keep working hard like a farmer because Jesus wants to produce fruit. Romans 10 says that faith comes by hearing, hearing of the word of Christ. Meaning, and he continues in, in, in Romans 10, says if, if, they, if no one preaches, the people can't be saved. It says, how, be, like, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It is awesome to those who are like girding themselves ready to go preach. For if there is no preachers, there is no salvation. It is the, the gospel that has the power to save. And it must be preached. It must be told. It must be heralded. People must hear it. People must hear it. That's the message. Paul says, it may, it may get you in prison, but the gospel cannot be bound. Sin, Satan, and death cannot stop the person, work, and power of Jesus. That's the message. He says, now the motive, why you do what you do, was therefore, I endure, I endure everything, even imprisonment, for the sake of the elect, so that I might obtain, so that they might obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You need to know why you do what you do. If you're going to endeavor to continue to love, know, love, and follow Jesus, and you have, you know the message, you need to know your motive, know your why. Paul says his why, he's going to get put in prison, he's going to get beaten, he's going to be killed, he's going to be sentenced to death. Why? Because he wants people to love Jesus. He says, that's worth it for me. They lie about me. They criticize me. They put me in prison for telling people about Jesus. Sign me up. I'll go. I'll go. His mo- and then he tells people about Jesus, but then he writes letters to the church to help them do what? Continue to obey Jesus, to form their life according to Jesus' word, will, and ways. He says, I endure it. I endure it all. I endure the, the hard nights, the sleepless nights, the fight, the war, the pain, the chains. I endure it all for, the, for God's people, the elect, those his children, those whom he's chosen, those whom he's saved, those who know, love, and trust Jesus. I'm going to labor hard. This is where the, 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 the quote from Luther who, who said that ministry will exhaust the very marrow from your bones and quicken and hasten old age and even death. This is what Paul is saying. I don't care because I want people to know Jesus and I want the people who know Jesus to live and look and act like Jesus. That's what we do. If you've signed up for something else, adopt into the mission, adopt into the message. That is your motive. You want people to know, love, and trust Jesus, do you? Then endure well. 
suffer, good soldier. Salvation is free. The penalty has been paid. Jesus is alive. He is victorious. Keep going. And the promise. He ends with the promise. Verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. You can take this to the bank. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. They kill you, awesome. You get to go home to see Jesus sooner. That's what he's saying. You live. They can't kill you. This is a beautiful thing about Christianity. You can't kill Christians. You can take their life, their physical bodies, but they will. Jesus is going to come back in the new heavens and new earth and give us a restored eternal body. In the same way Jesus got a new body after he rose from the dead, after they wickedly beat him, crucified him, marred him beyond human likeness, he got a new body. You can't kill the gospel. You can't kill the Christ. You can't kill the Christians. You can just get them to the presence of Jesus faster. It's the only thing you can do. And then what happens? They'll raise up more. That's what they learned in the early Roman Empire. The more you killed Christians, the more they multiplied. And so he says, if we endure, we will reign with him also. Paul also says in Philippians 1, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work and you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You will, if you, if you endure, you, if you are in Christ, he will cause you, he will give you strength and endurance to finish well. If we deny him, he will also deny us. This is where it gets rough. If you don't endure, but you deny Jesus, you prove that you weren't a part of the, the family. You're on the wrong team. You were lying to everybody. If we deny Jesus, he will also deny us. See, cowardice always leads to compromise. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd all be cowards. Without the Holy Spirit, we'd be Judas, and we would, we would uh, betray Jesus, and then, you know, some of y'all know the rest of the story. But with the Holy Spirit, we're like Peter. Well, we might deny him, but then the Holy Spirit changes us. He saves us and he transforms us. And then we move from cowardice to, to, to courageous men and women. We need the Spirit of God and the power of God, the strength of God to endure. He says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. This is the promise. It's trustworthy. If you die, you die with him. If you live, you live with him. If you endure, you'll be with him. If you deny him, he'll deny you. If you're faithless, guess what? He'll keep going. Jesus remains faithful. He cannot, he cannot deny himself. Meaning this, I want you to see this as we end. I want you to see this. That if you are faithless, if you're a faithless Christian and you don't entrust faithful, the, the gospel to other faithful men and women, if you don't do that, if you're, I'm going to be faithless in this. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to willfully not do it. Jesus still will find someone to do it. You may not spend it, you, you may have forsaken a, lot, a relationship with him. You may find out later that you're not a Christian. There's a lot of uh, th- awful things that I hope that you don't forsake the message. I hope you don't forsake the mission. I hope you don't forsake the promise. I hope you don't. But if you do, Jesus isn't going, guess, I guess it's over. The kingdom has been defeated. Jesus will always faithfully raise up a remnant in every generation to be faithful to the end. He's invited us to be, the, be faithful, to keep loving him, to keep serving him, to keep heralding the truth that he saves. 
He's given us his spirit to sustain us. He's given us uh, uh, commands to think like a warrior because we are at war, to train like an athlete so that we would, would, would have the diligence and the discipline to abide and remain near Jesus. So like a hardworking farmer, we can produce fruit fruit for others to enjoy so that the city is transformed. And then we, we continue in that pattern, heralding the message that there's one God, his name's Jesus. He loves everyone. Come to him for salvation and forgiveness of sins. Be adopted into his family and then live the rest of your life learning what it's like to be a part of the king's family, be a king's kid. And, and the motive that we do to continue to, to press this, this message forward, the motive that we have to continue to, to, to trust and entrust and teach this good news is that the motive is that we do everything because we love Jesus and we want others to know him. And then as we do it, we have the power of the promise that, that even the gates of hell can't stop us. This is the news. This is what strengthens us. This is what gives us hope. Put your faith in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Put your life in Jesus. Put your ambitions in Jesus. Put your discipleship in Jesus. Follow Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the only faithful. Trust him. Follow him. Obey him. Love him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that we would be faithful men and women who abide and remain near you, Jesus. And may we fight to remain near you like a warrior. May we train and discipline ourselves like an athlete to, to, to stay near you, to know your word, to know your ways, to orchestrate and live our lives according to it. Think about money differently. Think about power differently. Think about sex and justice and life and godliness. May we think about it all differently according to your word. And then may we labor uh, with an endurance that comes from your Holy Spirit that, that, that has the work ethic of a farmer, hardworking, desiring to produce fruitfulness so that we can enjoy it, so others can enjoy it, so that the city is transformed. Lord, may we never forget the message of the gospel. May we guard it, may we keep it. May we never forget that what drives us in this ministry and in this endeavor and in this life is that we love Jesus. May we never graduate from loving Jesus. And may we, therefore, proceed forward knowing the promise that you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us, that even the gates of hell and Satan himself can't stop you. So may we charge the city boldly this week. We charge our works boldly. May we walk out of here with boldness, knowing that our God is alive. He reigns. He is helping. He is sustaining. And he wants to use us to call others into this great family. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.